You're listening to the Adventist on Fire podcast, aofire.org. Here we are, driving in the car. I'm with Pastor Joel Slade, and we are headed to an airport, and I just happen to have a friend in the car named Clifford Goldstein. How you doing, Cliff? Good, good, good. Um, So, apologies for the sound quality to our listeners, but um, this is the best you're going to get today. So, Cliff... I just wanted to mention that eight-minute YouTube called um, Best Seller that they recorded. It was yeah. a testimony in bite-sized form. That was really cool. I'm wondering what the name of the book was that you were working on for so long. The tentative title I had for the book, the one that I burned, right? The, yeah. one, that, the one that you burned. Wow. My book was a long time ago. The tentative title I had was called The Garden of Animals. And that was actually, it's kind of a funny story how I got it, but that was from Arabic, the Arabic phrase for zoo. A zoo was a garden of animals. Right. And when I knew that that was how that was translated, I thought that was cool, and it kind of fit. my main. One of my main characters in the book was a little eight-year-old girl. You know, kids like animals, so I... That was the tentative title that I had for it anyway. And so, I don't know if you like talking about your previous idols like this, but I'm just wondering what it was that was so unique and significant about this book that it consumed you so much. Well, I don't think anything in it... I was a young guy in my early 20s. I had just this passion to write. And I knew, even back then, I knew what, what did I have to say that hadn't been said but all I wanted to do was create a piece of art I wanted to create something beautiful just for the sake of creating something beautiful that's all I wanted to do with the book and uh, never got written so thank the Lord but that's another story yeah have you ever found an opportunity to use some of the mechanics or the the work in that in any of your other content well I didn't use any of the content of the story but I spent two and a half years working on the book and just two and a half years of honing in my writing skills mm-hmm. I think when I was I was a better writer, when I came out the other end than when I went in. So in that sense, yeah, but there was no content or anything from the book that I was able to bring over and use. Yep. So you're a um, so you're a writer, obviously, for the Sabbath School Quarterly. Okay. And uh, how long have you been doing that? Well, I've been at the GC for 34 years, but I've been editing the quarterly. It'll be 20 years next year. Okay. So every two years I get tired of what I'm doing and I change jobs. So how are you still doing that? Well, I just love what I'm doing. (laughs) I just love it. It's a lot of satisfaction. I like teaching. I like writing. I like editing. So I have it all in there at once. Do you have your own office? Oh, yeah. How many times have you changed the office furniture? Oh, I've... Well, actually, with that office, (laughs) I've had the same office for 20 years now. Same office. Same furniture? Uh, same furniture. Yeah, pretty yeah. much the wow. same furniture. Wow. I got a few. Somebody gave me a big old white, soft, cushy chair that I crash out in every now and then in there. But, yeah, my office is just the desk, the chair, and tons of books. 
books. <laughs> and there are a lot less books now since I discovered e-books. Okay. And now I have a whole library with me on my iPad, which is wonderful. Does your office look like a historical library with bookshelves all around the walls, or are they just on piles on your desk? It's both. It's both. both. But I've got mostly on the walls and some on the floor. But, yeah, I don't have them on my desk unless I'm in the middle of really a big project and then I need all the books. But okay. I like a certain amount of, oh, clear space. Mm-hmm. I don't like the clutter. Because of the Ellen White quote about have to have a clean environment to have a clear mind. No, no, that's <laughs> not what it is. It's just something, the aesthetics of it. I... Maybe actually, I like my prose to be as clean as it could be. Not one extra word, just not one extra paragraph. I mean, extra punctuation mark. And it's just, I'm like, it's like with my inbox. I don't have, I look at these people and they got 1,400 email messages on there. I go crazy if I have one. I want it cleaned out. Are you OCD in any other ways? No, not really. No. I'm pretty... Writing oh. is pretty much the one area where I'm kind of obsessive about it. Okay, so your office is in the GC building itself? Yeah. Is the Allen White Estate in the same building? Oh, yeah, it's downstairs. It's at the bottom floor. I'm on the... St- three floors in the basement. I'm on the second floor. Like in the penthouse? No, no, that's the presidential upstairs. Oh, that's the presidential. Stuff. I had an office up there for a while when I edited Liberty Magazine. Wow. I was on the third floor, but when I went to the Sabbath School Quarterly, I got moved down. A you floor. got bumped down. Okay. So where's? Uh, so we've had an episode on here with Dwayne Esmond, uh, editor of the Ellen White Estate, I guess. Where's his office compared to yours? Well, he's in the basement. Oh, he's in the basement. He's actually really right below me. I think the White Estate is pretty much right below where my office is, but in the basement. And do you ever tease him about that? No, No. I don't think we've ever... Oh, okay. Most people don't pay much attention to that, I don't think. Well, that's certainly something I would have used, but that's all right. Yeah. So I've got a question here. If there was a writing competition between you and Dwayne, who would win? I don't know. I haven't read his stuff in a while. I do know he's a good writer. Okay. I do know that, but those are very subjective. Those are very subjective kind of things. I couldn't be the judge of that. No worries. You'd have to get an objective person who didn't know who they were just to read it and then decide. But I do know Dwayne is a good writer. So how did you end up working for the GC? Because So you've been in the church since 1980, which is only nine years more than me. I like, I like that. I've nearly been in the church as long as you, and you're twice my age. How did you end up in the GC? Well, that's an amazing story, and I had only been in the church about three years, and I was writing for a health journal in self-supporting work, and they had a, a restaurant in New York, and there were a lot of Jewish customers. So I started writing articles geared towards the Jews, and then one day the the GC, or specifically the North American Division, found out about me, and they had a little publication for the Jews, and they needed an editor, and since there are not that many Jewish Adventists around who are writers, they they called me, and so I, I hadn't been to our schools, I skirted the system entirely, 
and I went from a self-supporting institution to the General Conference in 1984, and uh-huh. that's where I've been ever since. So Nice. And you've written how many books? Oh, I've published about... With my latest book, Baptizing the Devil, that's my probably my 23rd book, not counting two Sabbath school quarterlies. Okay. When you write a book... Do you write it in your personal time or your work time? Oh, I have to do it on my own time. Oh, you that's know, your that's, own time. Yeah, that's not that's part of your job. Yeah, I mean, I I work a lot at home. I edit at home mm-hmm. and so on. But I do try to keep those things as separate to much as I can. Okay. Is there any profit in books whatsoever? Is there any what? Profit in books. Profit? Yeah, like funds that come in. Well, uh, yeah, you know... Well, some people get super rich off of it, not right. me. Not you. <laughs> nah, nah, my, my books haven't sold well in 20 years. Yeah. There was a time decades ago I was much better known and I was, you know, more of a an anomaly and people wondered, who is this guy? And the book sold well, but yeah. my books have all pretty much bombed. So it's essentially the title of your testimonial video is a bit of a lie because you're not the bestseller. Yeah, yeah, well, that was the title... That was my hope, though. <laughs> that was my hope for it, yeah. Who is the current bestseller? In the church? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I don't... You know, there's this guy that writes these Christmas in my heart books, Joe Wheeler. Okay. And he sells his books like McDonald's sells hamburgers. <laughs> and uh, he must make a fortune off of his books. Right. But I don't know how he does it, but... Well, it's different. They're nice little stories he compiles together and yeah. sells them around Christmas time, and people buy them as gifts. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to put it down. It's it does well for what it does. Okay, you know. So you've been in that building as long as the furniture. How many presidents have you seen go through? Well, I was under Neil Wilson. Then I was under Bob Falkenberg. Yeah. Then I was under um, Jan Paulson. Yeah. And now I'm under. Ted Wilson. So you work for the GC, and that gives you a scope of the Adventist church that many of us don't have. What excites you about Adventism, knowing what you know about the worldwide church? Well, to me, to me, the exciting thing about Adventism is the message. Is the message. It's just, it's just amazing. And the longer I'm in the church, the more I learn, the more I'm just in awe of what God has given the Adventist people. It's this message. It's the only reason I'm here. It's the only reason I stay. And I just am in awe of what God has given. And the church itself, the Adventist church, it's amazing. It's an amazing organization. You know, it's real easy to rag on the church and all that and you know if you want to find things to rag on you can rag on but all in all i mean of course the church is the church but then there's the message the adventist message and there's nothing like it in the world and that's what i get excited about this message so you're an uh an ordained pastor cliff yeah i was ordained about 25 years ago so did you just wondering did you ever do any traditional study at a college and did you ever pastor a church specifically no, i've never i spent one semester at an adventist college that was a disaster 
Yeah. That was during the Ford crisis. And that was, was when you were just coming into the church? Brand new. I was in the church six months, and I went to an Adventist college, and it was a total disaster down there. So that was it. I had one semester. I learned a few helpful things. I mm-hmm. really did. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I did it. And then all my education since then has been outside of, was outside of Adventism. Have you had a personal experience in baptizing people? Yeah, I baptized a few people, not a lot, because I've never pastored, but yeah. I baptized some people. Okay. Yeah. What's some of the best testimonies that you've heard come back because of your publications? Well, man, I've had a lot over the years. I, I was just telling somebody earlier, some guy came up to me who had been out of the, had been out of the Adventist church for 20 years wandered into an ABC for the first time in 20 years, picked up a book I wrote, read it. He said, and that that book answered the questions. And had he had those questions answered 20 years ago, he never would have left the church. And it was out in Oregon, and he went back to the ABC the next day to say, do you got any more books by Clifford Goldstein? And they said, he's here this weekend. (laughs) This weekend, the trip was planned for a year and a half. And that was that he walked in and I ended up baptizing him. Right. I ended up baptizing him and he went back into the ministry. And it was so funny too, because I didn't know anything about how to baptize people. (laughs) And we were at this church and the people were getting the baptismal thing ready and they know that I'm baptizing him, but I'm asking him questions. Look, how do you do this? What do I do? And so he's the baptismal candidate. He was explaining to me, the preacher, yeah. how you baptize people. And the girl getting the thing ready was scratching her head on that one. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. anyway. So I guess from a year into philosophy and thinking deeply, what do you think is the greatest threat to the church at the moment, and what can we do about it? Well, it's culture. Yeah. It's culture. As I said at my meetings, Christians are notorious for compromising. Mm-hmm. They've sold out every generation. Look, ancient Israel, even before then, it didn't make this stuff up. It got influenced by the surrounding culture. How do you think we got the Roman church? Where do you think Sunday keeping came from? Immortality of the soul. The whole the whole medieval apostasy. It was a result of Christians compromising with their culture. And we see the same thing happening today as well. Back in Sabbath school land... Um Have you got any, what would be your best tips or advice to somebody who's trying to really get something out of a Sabbath school that's lacking or languishing? Well, I'd say, you know, the Sabbath school quarterly is just a guide. It's just a guide. And I, you know, read the week, look at the themes, and then take them in the direction that you need it. We always have them in the Word. All the time, we every day we have Bible text, and we say, "Look, this is the direction we're going in." Here's, you know, read over the whole week. You find something that really turns you on or that clicks with you, then you focus on that. You know, it's not like you got to follow this rigid plan. It's there. It's a guide to guide you in your own personal study. Okay, who's the or how big is the team that helps you with the editing of the Sabbath School Quarterly? Well, we have four people in our office. Plus, we've got 
Worldwide Reading Committee and so on. So there's numerous people that are involved, but in the end, the buck stops with me with editing the standard quarterly. Okay. It's pretty much me. You like it or don't like it, I'm the blame or the thank. Okay. Boils down, yeah. How far in advance do you have to have them prepared? Well, I mean, I'm editing one right now. I was working on one this morning that'll come out in first quarter 2021. <laughs> And uh, we make assignments. If I make an assignment, to the next assignment I'll make will be for 2023. That's how far in advance. Because we we give them two years to write it. Then we get it back and we format it. Then we send it out to the world field, the reading committee. We give them a couple months to read it. They send their suggestions back. We have a committee. Then I, we decide to accept, you know, to accept or reject the manuscript. Then I edit it. Then we send it out to a smaller committee, basically to kind of look over my edit. But then we got to get it the changes. Then we have to send it out to the world field. The different divisions get it. They have to translate it. They have to print it. They have to distribute it. So it's about all told five years. From the time I make an assignment to the time you get it in your hands, about five years passes. It's amazing. Um, So I guess then when you do a a whole quarter on stewardship, it's not a planned thing because the money's down. (laughs) Oh, no, there's a long... No, no, we can't do that. We just can't work... That far in advance. Years ago, after Ted Wilson became president, and he had his this revival and reformation thing, they put pressure on me. They wanted the quarterly like the next year, and they were busting my chops, and I was like <laughs> pleading with them. You know, it doesn't work that way. You know, it it, it doesn't, and we managed. It was about. Two and a half years Mm. till we were able to get it out. And we just had to skip a lot of committees, skip a lot of hoops, and just do it. And even then, it was two and a half years. Yeah. So, because they don't know the process. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've got uh, seven selected questions for you now, Cliff. And um, we'll start with this. What were the key elements of your conversion? I know that they can watch the eight-minute YouTube. We'll link to that. But what do you think the key things were that without them, there would be no Cliff Sabbath Schools today? Well, I was a seeker for truth. And I think the key element for me was dying to self. I had to make that choice. I mean, burning that book was the ultimate act in my life at that point of surrendering and dying to self to give my heart to God and sometimes I I'm glad I never had to go through that again but at the same time sometimes I feel as if I need to burn a book every day Mm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. to you Mm -hmm. Um, what was the biggest barrier to committing to a life of ministry for you oh I I don't know I no barriers for you no no I love apart from the book 
Yeah, yeah. Once I got converted, then I got to, I mean, it was a privilege to be able to work for the church. I found it a privilege that, you know, I love the Lord. I love this message. And then to be paid to be promoting it, you know, and so on. Oh, no, no. I I tell people that the GC owes me nothing. You know, they don't owe me a thing. It's been a privilege and an honor for me to be there. And I... I don't take my job for granted. I mean, every day I realize it's a privilege to be here that I truly don't deserve, and I really mean that, too. On that point, is there anyone in the building who's been there longer than you? Oh, yeah, yeah. There are a few, not a okay. lot. There, Tim Poirier at the White Estate has been there longer. There's a guy named Lee Belcher who's in the printing press. Man, I think he was there when Ellen White was there. And there's a, a lawyer named Tom Wet. And Tom came about the same time I did. There's a few people, but I'm, there are probably 10 people who might have been in the, or the few who are in Tacoma Park. Yep. And there's just a few of us in the building left who were in Tacoma Park. Okay. Before they moved. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question three. Who in the Bible do you relate to most and why? Oh... Probably Judas. <laughs> I, should, I, should. I actually wrote a sermon years ago called The Judas and All of Us. And I don't know, who do I relate to? Well, there are aspects of different ones I can relate to. And in a funky way, you know, I do not like to equate myself in any way to the Apostle Paul. But... His conversion was just like my conversion. Paul's, Paul's study got him to kill Christians. Mm-hmm. He's going along, doing his own thing, and then boom, he has a transrational experience. Yep. The He has a supernatural experience with Jesus, and instantly his whole worldview changes. And that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't have, I didn't slowly but surely educate myself into the message. I had a powerful conversion experience knowing almost nothing. And then I worked from a whole new set of presuppositions. And then I became, you know, grew in grace. And so in that way, I can relate to Paul. But out beyond that, no. But... Okay. That way, for the conversion, I totally understand that. Do you have a favorite book or resource that you would recommend? Outside of your own books that we will put book links of the to. Bi- oh, a book to yeah, read? Yeah, like outside of the Bible and outside of your books. Oh, a, a biblical book? Like mm, a spiritual yeah, anything. book? Just anything that would help somebody to catch the fire that you have. Oh, well, the books that I really liked that were very helpful to me were the Daniel and Revelation Committee Series, (laughs) Volumes 1 and Volume 2. Back then, they were a life changer for me. But this goes back, you know, 35 years ago from dealing with, you know, the questions about the sanctuary and so on. But those were probably the most, some of the most influential religious books that I've read. From an administrative organizational perspective, what resources do you use to keep you five years ahead of the Sabbath school well, is there is there like a program that keeps you scheduled really well or well no we just have the we have the, the list yeah. and every three months 
one of the ladies in my office says, look, this is the topic they want next. So I've got to go find an author. My job is to find an author, to try to find an author that fits the title. Mm-hmm. you know. And then there's steps along the way in the process of editing. But I have the staff that tells me, hey, we need a committee for first read of Daniel. Hey, we need the teacher's edition read. You know, hey, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I got an office staff okay. that kind of does that. I just basically have to do the editing. Question five, what spiritual leader or mentor has had the greatest influence in your life? Okay, there was a guy at the general conference by far. His name was Dr. Angel Rodriguez. Mm. He was the head of BRI for years. Angel was like my guru. You know, he retired a while back, but just a brilliant guy, deep, spiritual. Oh, I, it, I, it broke my heart when he left, but mm. he was unquestionably the biggest influence on me there at the GC, hands down. Where is he and now? I've had a lot of good mentors at the yep, GC. Yep, yep. Well, he's retired. He's in Texas. We stay in touch. We stay in touch. But Angel has been the biggest influence on me. Nice. What's the best advice you've ever received that you can remember? Best advice? Mm. Well, it's not so much advice. I remember when I first got to the GC... There was a man there named Roland Hexted. He had been editor of Liberty Magazine, and I kind of trained under him. And eventually, when he retired, I took his job. And I'll never forget, he said something to me one time. He said to me, this could go back 34 years. He said, there isn't anybody that I've met, I've known at the GC whom I haven't, whom the better I got to know him, the more I liked. Mm-hmm. In other words, people, he might have not liked him at first. The more he got to know him, the more he liked him. And I like that. And I think he's, I can, I hate to say for me, there are a couple exceptions. <laughs> there have been a few people there. The more I knew him, the less I liked him. Yeah. But for the most part, that's true. And that was just good good counsel all the way around about yeah. people so yeah, for sure and the last question here if you were made a conference president tomorrow what would you do to help finish the work oh i that, Ch- chances are slim but just imagine yeah well i wouldn't know if i were the general <laughs> conference president or just a conference president because yeah, the reason I, is because I, that would be the position that would have the most immediate influence yeah, over a congregation yeah i i i don't know i have no idea yeah it's tough. It's yeah, tough. I couldn't give you a intelligent answer. <laughs> well, or what that. if you were the GC president? Is there something you'd do or change? Or If I were what? The GC president. What would I change? Or do? You know, I don't know. Because, you know, it's there's so many layers of the church. Okay. It's really very hard. People think, oh, the GC president can do whatever he wants. It doesn't work that way. Yep. So the GC presidents are very limited to a degree what they could do. Now, they could exert influence, but the way the church is structured, you know, I mean, if the GC president wanted to kick you out of the local church, he couldn't do it. Correct. He couldn't do it. I guess your (laughs) conference president even couldn't do it. And that's some of the genius of the the Adventist church truly amazes me. And even after all these years there, 
at the GC, I'm still amazed by, I'm in love with the Lord and love with the message, and I'm amazed by the church. Nice. So. so at the event we've just been speaking at, um, I took a talk on young adults, and I compared the disciples' ages, the um, church, the Adventist church pioneers' ages, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the Babylonian, you know, they're specifically all training young people. What do you think the answer or a, something that we could do as a church to get more young, young adults involved to use their energy to spread the word? Well, I think just get them involved. Just get them involved. Have them start working. Just use them, not worry about their... I mean, you know, there's obviously certain positions. There is a wisdom that comes with age and experience. I mean, you just can't deny it. But I've been amazed here in Australia to see all the young people so intricately involved in the work. And it's that's pretty encouraging. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Yeah, hey, a lot of fun. No problem. Go Ye, a strategic board game that's more Adventist than Doug Batchelor eating haystacks on Sabbath. In Go Ye, players spread the gospel by investing in spiritual gifts, mission trips, and church organizational growth, while planting churches across a custom world map of 58 conferences and 10 divisions. The goal is to have the most TMI before the second coming, but will the GC president, the missionary, or the adventurepreneur get the biggest crown? Go Ye to aofire.org to register your interest.